Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. This week's book is Rake by author Scott Phillips. A little bit about the author. I'm assuming this came from Amazon, source of all knowledge writing related. Is that you, correct? You would assume that. It's actually from Wikipedia. His, oh. His Amazon, he's one of those where it's like his Amazon thing is pulled from Wikipedia and they just, yeah, so. Gotcha. Okay. Scott Phillips is an American writer of crime fiction in the noir tradition. He was born in Wichita, Kansas, and lived for several years in France, working as a translator and photographer, then in California as a screenwriter, co-writing a 1996 straight-to-video thriller called Crosscut. His first novel, The Ice Harvest, is a black comic noir thriller set in the low-rent world of sleazy Wichita strip clubs on Christmas Eve 1979. The Ice Harvest was adapted into a film of the same title in 2005. He followed this in 2002 with The Walk Away, a prequel set largely in Wichita during the 1940s. His third novel, Cottonwood, is set in Kansas and California during the Western era. Have I told my Ice Harvest story on the show yet? I don't think you have, but I was about to prompt you to do that. (laughs) So uh, apparently in uh, 2005, maybe 2004, I believe it was in August, um, even though this story, uh, and I have not seen the movie, so... Even though this uh, the story takes place in sleazy Wichita strip clubs, they filmed it in very glamorous Waukegan, Illinois, <laughs> <laughs> which isn't very glamorous at all. But I worked there, and uh, one of my uh, one of my duties was to uh, take the bank deposit to the bank every day. So five days a week, I had to get in my car and, and run all this money to the bank. And it's August, and it's like nine thirty in the morning, and it's probably seventy five degrees out. And I pull out of the parking lot. And I see what I'm barely certain is snow. And it's just little mounds of snow, like, on the street corners for, like, two blocks. Just on the street corners, like, piled up. And I go, man, this is really weird. I'm apparently losing my mind. I get back to work, and uh, I tell one of my coworkers this, and he goes, yeah, dude, they're filming some movie downtown, and they must have had some scenes near where I worked um, that they were using snow. So they actually film winter scenes in the middle of summer, apparently. But that was the filming for the ice harvest. Oh. Or or I'm crazy and was seeing snow in 75 degree August. <laughs> you Heat. could be crazy. Yeah. Uh, I had a, uh, I won't go into mine, the movie Wanted with Angelina Jolie. Mm-hmm. Remember that? It was filmed in Chicago. Yes. I lived in the the neighborhood of Lakeview at the time that was being recorded. And the shitty apartment that the kid uh, lives in. Mm-hmm. Is that your apartment? That was my, yeah, it was really inconvenient. They're like, we got to get that kid back in here. Angelina Jolie's changing wardrobes. I was like, come on, guys, I got to get to work. Uh, but no, really, like, they would just block off the streets all the time. And I was like, man, this is, I was like, it was so inconvenient. I hated it. Yeah, that's it. People who make movies just ruin the rest of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Not not the rest of our lives, the rest of our. Like the lives of the rest lives. of us. Yes, that's exactly it. <laughs> all right, so. Uh, back to the book. Here's the synopsis that we pulled. Actually, this was pulled from uh, Amazon, but it's also the book jacket synopsis. <clears throat> the landscape of contemporary Paris, the best restaurants, the trendiest bars and clubs, is usually filled with the wealthy, the famous, and Le Rock de la Rue, the charming, educated, sophisticate, with little or no conscience. Into this cushy world bursts Dr. Crandall Taylor, that's in quotes, or rather the actor who plays him, the star of a dated American soap opera that is now one of the hottest primetime shows in France. And this newfound fame, as enriching as it is unexpected, is not wasted on Crandall, eager to put his dark and often violent American past behind him and enjoy all the fruits and the women that Paris 
and fame have to offer him. But TV fame isn't enough. Randall wants a feature film. Every actor wants a feature film, and so Crandall uses his charm and intellect to draw into his narcissistic web four different women. An executive at the network that runs his show, an American porn star reaching new heights on the internet, a bookish university student with a slightly nasty bent, and the beautiful would-be actress wife of an arms dealer. Against his better judgment, Crandall accepts both the arms dealer's cash and his beautiful wife's advances. Soon, Crandall is on the run through the alleys and streets of Paris, trying not only to fund a film, but simply to stay alive. But this is no ordinary chase, and Crandall is no ordinary mouse, and soon his penchant for violence, sex, and megalomania erupts into a full-blown war. (laughs) There's more. (laughs) Rake is the latest noir classic from the author of The Ice Harvest. It features a charming, despicable anti-hero and a funny, satiric take on modern entertainment culture. Phillips turns his gimlet eye on the lush life of an actor who, on his destructive tour through Paris, crosses the line from garden-variety narcissism into full-fledged psychopathy. Very nice, sir. I'm glad I got the short part this time. Yeah, that's a pretty long uh, synopsis there. Yeah. So I'm not really sure about that Larake or LaRue part, but um, LaRue means the beat. The beat? Thank you. Thank you, Google Translator. Oh, because it's R-O-U-E, I guess? Because R-U-E is... I could be wrong. Yeah. I took two years of French in high school, which was like almost 20 years ago. So, Oh, good. So you knew what all of those chapter headings were? Uh, mostly it was dates and times, I think. Okay. I had no idea what they were. Yeah. All right. So the uh, synopsis, where are you at with the synopsis? What do you think? Uh, I think it was <laughs> like, um, it's almost so good that, you know, we don't really have much to talk about anymore. Yeah, that's it. That's our review. Um, that's what the story's about. I will say that um, I don't think it quite addressed how goddamn funny this book is. Yeah, that's a good point. There, There is a lot of humor to it, and um, this is more... I mean, there's so much, though. Like, all, everything in the in the synopsis is true and did happen, so... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it was on the long side as it is, so... But yeah, you're right. There is no mention of, of the more... The funny well, yeah, yeah, it says in a funny satiric take on modern entertainment culture, but um, I, here's the thing. I didn't really know what to expect when I started reading this book. You know, when we said we'd do it, I, I had no, you know, no inkling of what I was getting into, but I was expecting something, you know, fairly dark and, you know, an anti-hero and stuff. But this was, this was, I smiled through the whole book while I was reading this. I mean, almost every page had something <laughs> that, that the protagonist said or did that I found uh, entertaining or amusing maybe it's just because i'm really screwed up yeah well i mean i guess the whole thing about the protagonist is he's supposed to be like funny and charming and stuff like that so maybe because we're seeing everything through his perspective and he's such a narcissist that we're seeing like the idealized version of him um mm-hmm. that yeah we are supposed to be kind of charmed by the what what goes on i guess i'm totally charmed by dr yeah. crandall taylor which is <laughs> That's a nice place to start. Um, so there is a, a pretty big list of cast of characters, cast of main uh, fundamental characters in this book. And the first of all is our protagonist, who we see the uh, the book through his eyes. And um, Livius and I were talking about this a little bit right before we started, um, because I, I kind of just jotted down really quickly some names, and I realized I'd only remembered him being referred to by his character name, Dr. Crandall Taylor, or just Crandall. Um, and, and yeah, turns out that 
there's no it's never revealed what his actual name is he's just so commonly referred to in uh in passing in public by his character name because that's how the public knows him that uh he never got kind of his own label um i do that a lot for for tv actors like i was recently watching the tv show touch with um Kiefer sutherland mm-hmm. and i only ever referred to his character as jack bauer which was his character <laughs> on 24 but i also then take um the the um his characteristics from it and i'm like oh this guy better watch out because jack will just fuck this guy up even though the, the 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 guy on touch whose name i have no idea i watched two full seasons of it i couldn't tell you what his, his character's name was uh, it was like kind of like a non-violent guy but yeah so i do that but worse i take their characteristics with them too not just their name oh wow that's uh yeah that's something it's it's funny that you refer to him as Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland right now, but then his oh, other character is yeah. referred to as a character that he's in something else. Well, I had to so people would know what I was talking about. I'm sure if you said Jack Bauer, although I would have to, had to have thought for a second because I never watched any 24. That's or touch. Uh, now that we're talking about it, yeah, that's just unfortunate. I don't know what else to say about that. Mm. So he's totally famous in France uh, for an American soap opera that, you know, did moderately well here. Um, and everybody knows him because he's a primetime star there. So, it, you know, this, this book is filled filled with scenes where almost every situation he's in, someone recognizes him. Yep. And it can be as simple as, um, you know, a, an old lady who, who thinks that, you know, the show he's on is a reality show, basically. and, and uh, <laughs> Asking um, for medical know. advice. Yeah. Yeah, asking for medical advice or offering advice, like relationship advice. Like, mm-hmm. why aren't you better to that girl? She loves you. Yeah, you should let her have your babies. Um, to that, and then of course the flip side of that is the uh, everybody who doesn't think he's actually Dr. Crandall Taylor basically wants to sleep with him. Yeah, and so I kind of like the 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 reason that he's famous more in France than anywhere else, which was the soap opera that he was in in the United States was. I think an hour long and it was during like the middle of the day mm-hmm. and that's kind of how it was syndicated everybody else everywhere else in the world except for in France where they put it in prime time and broke every episode in half so um, it basically air- is airing for twice as long and in prime time so it's it's got much more um, yeah much a lot more people watching it than it would otherwise well yeah there's longevity there too like he's done working on the soap opera Right, but, but they still have getting, like yeah. three seasons or whatever that the French haven't seen. So yeah. yeah, so yeah, that's what that's what keeps him in Paris and so famous. Whereas, you know, it's an American soap opera. So I thought that was pretty cool. It was nice, a nice touch. Those French know how to squeeze the last little bit out of everything, don't they? Do they? I don't know. I'm assuming so. I mean, this is all I know about France is what I read in this book. <laughs> oh, that's right. So, so this is how I'm how I'm going to make all my assumptions about the French. <laughs> Oh no, Axel Tyari is gonna just—he's gonna be very disappointed in you. Yeah, but you know what? For as long as we've known Axel Tyari, I don't think he lived in France at all. He's lived yeah. everywhere but France. That's a good point. All right, he might be banned from France, as far as we know. <laughs> all right, uh, other characters. You want to talk about some other characters? Um, yes, there, <laughs> there are uh, quite a few other characters. Um, one that I think is is really significant to talk about because he's just a, a great character, although. A little bit of a bore is uh, Fred LaForge. So, Crandall, is that how we decided we were going to yeah, talk about we'll it? Yeah, we'll talk okay. about so, it. Crandall. So, Crandall, 
um, decides he's going to make a movie because how hard could it really be? All he really needs is an idea, which he doesn't have, and then he needs a screenwriter, which he doesn't have. So, so he, through the course of this book, tries to acquire these things. And he comes across as a Fred LaForge, who's a bookstore clerk um, and novelist who's written a, a couple of novels that were published, but he's certainly not living off the spoils of being a writer like you know, like all our friends do, where they're all rolling in the dough from the books. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so he's going to be the one writing Crandall's screenplay, and he is the exact opposite of Crandall. So, you know, I got a picture of kind of a dorky guy, not much. You know, he was married once. He's divorced. That didn't go very well. He has no no prowess with the ladies. Um, he, he really doesn't understand how you know, Crandall's kind of nutty, but he, he, he listens. He becomes kind of a follower and just does whatever Crandall assigns him to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was really good. And um, the tie-in with uh, every time, like, the crossword... He needs help with the crossword. That was pretty awesome. Yes. Just yes. call him up and be like, what's this? And he answers it as if it's, as if it's like super obvious. Mm-hmm. I think LaForge is kind of an enabler. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's really just kind of, he's he'll do what, he, he kind of ends up conceding to whatever, you know, the situation is. And then he never puts his foot down about anything. Yeah, for sure. So as I mentioned in the synopsis, there's there's a bunch of there's four main female characters in the book that all figure very prominently in the story, uh, and the one I'm going to talk about is Marie Lore, who is a TV executive for the uh, TV channel that his uh, soap opera is currently airing on in France. So she's kind of a big wig, and he's trying to leverage her to get the the studio interested in his big time movie and. Uh, so she she shows up throughout the whole thing, and um, obviously, as Crandall is just basically nothing but a giant narcissistic womanizer. Um, yeah, they end up you know there's there's a romantic uh, question mark around their you know it's you know is it just business or is there some romance involved and all that. So it's definitely your typical what you'd expect from a from a character like Crandall. One of the things I really dug about her, her character in general was like the way that she talked to people was so frank and um, and full of just such profanity. Like uh, they'd be talking at dinner or something, and you know it would just be he, he would voice an opinion about something or or talk about something he was thinking about doing, and she'd just be like, "Don't be such a fucking idiot" or something like that. And that was just mm-hmm. the way she talked. Is like she wasn't. <laughs> she did so frequently that you realize that's just how she talked. She wasn't like judging you or being mean to you. That's just like how she, you know, expressed herself. I thought that was it was done very consistently throughout the book, and I liked it a lot. Yeah, I agree. Her uh, abrasiveness, um, certainly an endearing quality. I, I mean, a lot of these um, these characters, they kind of um, kind of caricature in a way. You know, it seemed like all of their their. Um, all of their quirks and personality traits were kind of amplified. Right. So, um, but the the next woman on the list I want to talk about, and I may be pronouncing this um, wrong, Esme? Yeah, I was thinking that, or Esme. Yeah, Esme, that could be it. Yeah, but she is the, uh, she's an actor slash model um, who, who is also someone who may or may not become romantically involved with Crandall. <laughs> um, just safe to assume that if there's a woman in the book, there's a good chance she might become involved with Crandall. Yeah. 
Um, and, and <laughs> Even her, if she's like you know serving sandwiches at a deli or something like yep, that. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, but she's um, basically someone who's interested in uh, in getting a part in the movie. But more importantly, she has a very rich and powerful husband who could um, be the financier for this movie if things go correctly. Mm-hmm. All right. Another character is I think in this in the synopsis she was like a bookie college girl uh with a who's a little bit dark or something like that and that's uh i'm gonna go with the pronunciation onik so um i think if i'm not mistaken it was just kind of a chance encounter between the two of them and that they met and hit it off and she's just a full-on romantic interest like in the beginning at least um yeah beginning of their relationship it was just straight to uh, them hooking up basically, but she plays and is, <clears throat> but she plays and is interestingly like kind of intertwined with a lot of what goes on in this story. And the thing I dug about her character was that she was just kind of like a no, not a shit taker. She's kind of the mm-hmm. in a way opposite of of the Fred character because she's more just like she's like totally into this guy who she knows from being in the in the mo- in the TV show and everything, but. That doesn't mean that she's just like a you know a get lets herself get walked all over. Yeah. Her uh, her boyfriend is named Bruno, um, so this is where you know so this starts to get a little um, I don't know incestuous, not in the actual sense of the meaning, but um, Bruno is her is her boyfriend, and he's the son of Claude Guiteau, who we roll back to is actually um, Esme's husband, the the rich powerful man who may. Um, wind up financing this movie. Um, yeah, he, he he in turn. So I'll take it because it's like so this kind of rap <laughs> thing is a. Uh, it, it's on the page here from the notes. Um, we do discover he's actually an arms dealer. So not only is he rich and powerful, but he is incredibly dangerous. Yeah. So you've got Anik, and who's dating Bruno, whose father is Claude, who's married to Esme. 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 Uh huh. Um. So there's a whole triangle going, or not a triangle even, whatever geometric shape this creates, um, with Fred, or not Fred, I'm sorry, with Crandall just kind of in the middle of this, like, yeah, circle of girls and, and arms dealers, as it turns out. Yeah. But that's not all. Um, there's also, so uh, from this soap opera, which, while it's still uh, kind of currently airing and fresh and new in France has been done for a while in the United States. So his uh, co-stars and everything have kind of moved on to the next stage of their life. One of the co-stars is, uh, which I love this name, Ginny DeKalb, um, because there's a town in Illinois named DeKalb, and it's just like this like farm town with a college right in the middle of it. But anyway, uh, Ginny DeKalb is a former co-star of that soap opera that Crandall starred in, um, but is currently... A porn actress, a porn star, who's uh, she's the one that's gaining a lot of uh, popularity on the internet. So she uh, she kind of shows up in France and meets up with uh, Crandall a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And we could go on and on with characters. I think um, it's probably important to mention mention Inspector Bono, maybe Bono. Sure, sure. I sound French there. Um, he's a French police, a uh, French uh, detective, I guess. Uh, he was originally brought in to investigate an assault against Crandall and um, other shenanigans that follow. Um, yeah, so moral of the story, uh, tons of characters. 
and but they're all necessary for the plot because it's one of those like every thread kind of weaves in to make the the overall knot of the story and um, they're all different types of people with different interests and different needs but most of them want to sleep with Crandall and he wants to sleep with everybody so that is just a really cool story yeah it's it's very um it, it reminds me a little bit of those movies where like everybody's out to get the same thing kind of yeah I mean with a huge cast of characters and here's uh here's Crandall who you know is kind of shooting from the hip and and I get the feeling that you know for a good portion of his life that's how he got by but in this particular situation uh comes very uh um becomes saddled with a lot of problems from the approach that he's taken both through his womanizing and, mm-hmm. and through the people he's chosen to uh to cross so to speak yeah and and thinking about it like you said the everybody's trying to get the same thing um I feel like, you know, almost like Guy Ritchie movies like Snatch and everything where it's mm-hmm. a bunch of different characters and they all kind of somehow tangentially affect each other. Um, yeah, for sure. But like, all right, and I'm going to go back to, and I try to do this as often as possible. Um, if anybody's read P.G. Woodhouse, they'll understand this. Uh, the the main character in, 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 a, in like the, the Jeeves books um, essentially, uh, in, in a very carefree way, goes about life and... Um, things just kind of happen to him. So uh, he's stuck trying to solve a problem, which then either continues to sol- to like make a new problem or that problem conflicts with a character who has a different problem. And like, you know, so it's a whole, he's very carefree in his approach, but all these things keep coming up and it's up to him to try and figure out ways to solve them. And, um, and I kind of got a little bit of a feel like that in here because Crandall's very much like just into himself, cares about himself, cares about, women and you know he just enjoys his life and all of these little complications start building up and the beautiful thing is how he just approaches them so like still carefree um <laughs> there's a part that I, I we can't really give away but there's something very serious going on and he just keeps thinking oh you know what that'll resolve itself in a day or two and he like he'll go to a museum or he'll like just be having like food in a cafe in the middle of the day while someone else is trying to like take care of the situation that's really kind of his fault so yeah there's a lot of that going on and there's a part um same situation but like he wakes up and he's like i think i'll go have breakfast then someone calls him and reminds him of the situation he's like you know i honestly like forgot all about that yeah (laughs) yeah like yeah it'll it'll work itself out yeah which is i I dug that a lot yeah i don't want to give away any of this book um I, i do have some quotes i know rob has some stuff he wants to talk about do you just want to go into that and kind of give people an idea of what this book is uh is is about sure i think there's one other bit to the crandall character that i think is necessary to talk about really quickly if it's okay with you um Uh it's that he's got a military background so um the as throughout the book like you figure out you find out throughout the book you get a picture of his past and how he got to where he is but there's definitely a part where um he talks about having a very successful military career, which factors into actually lots of the tra- like lots of the interactions that he has in the book. So um, that was one of those things. Like we read "Plugged" by Owen Cofer, mm-hmm. yep. and it was like almost disappointing how he was that guy who had the exact right skills to get out of his situation. Right. So I was a little nervous when I was like, "Oh, here we go." But mm-hmm. I think that Phillips approached this in such a good way because the way that he structured 
um, the Crandall character is not that he's just, you know, this kind of one-dimensional uh, character with nothing else going on. The the military experience, while useful in situations, is is very incidental to his character. So that really worried me when it first was introduced, but it was ended up not being a problem. I agree. I had the exact same thought. And I thought, why is he dropping this on us? That he, you know, and and again, same thing. It it um, it served, I think, to enhance the story rather than as a um, as a easy out for right. situations. Yeah. So. Yep. So yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Cool. Um, yeah. Let's do some. You have quotes. I have a ton of quotes. Mm. So here's what I'm gonna start. I just thought was hilarious. Um, because some of this, I, I again, because you know somebody wrote this, I'm going to take this all as fact, and I'm going to live my life by these things that I read here. Her head was large in proportion to her body, and if that sounds like a backward compliment, it isn't. Head-to-body ratio is one of the key elements of stardom, determining how a person photographs. Look back at the great stars of the 20th century cinema. Bogart, Betty Davis, Gavin, Gable, all had enormous heads in relation to their bodies. It's no different in modern times. Hoffman, Depardieu, Julia Roberts, Jackie Chan... Picture Philippe Noiret with his head slightly smaller, and suddenly he's your neighborhood grocer or trash collector. Without his massive head threatening to capsize his tiny body every time he takes a step, Tom Cruise is the guy who tears the tickets at the movie theater and not the giant on the screen. <laughs> is this a thing? Do these people all have large heads? I uh, never thought about it, but maybe that's why everybody likes me so much. I always thought I had a huge head. That's very true. So it must be hard to find a hat that fit it properly. <laughs> I do still wear some good hats. Um, yeah, I dug that. And actually, my first thing I want to talk about ties in pretty similarly with that. So there is a lot of, like, uh, Crandall's also kind of a, a thinker of a character. He's got some good knowledge. Um, he's, I don't know if he's, like, I don't know if you consider well-read, but he just, he knows some stuff. And um, this is another thing that came up early in the book that I thought was pretty interesting. It's that more... It's not so much of a quote as it is just kind of something that happened that I thought was interesting. He's talking about um, the movie The Maltese Falcon being adapted from the book. And um, he said that um, John Hewson, which was the director of the movie, gave the book to his secretary and told her while he was gone for the weekend um, to adapt it into a screenplay. And when he came back, um, it was so well done that he didn't need to make any changes it was just ready to be filmed so I think that was interesting enough where I put down the book and actually went on Wikipedia to see if that was true and there is a popular rumor that that's exactly what happened but um, obviously because it's so long ago and everything I guess they just can't really verify it but that was a really interesting fact and I dug it a lot I agree and there seemed to be quite a a lot of that going on through the book and so I said some of this stuff is just great to to soak in and, and you know assume it's true because it just makes you a better person. <laughs> exactly. Um, here is a, uh, a, a, I think, a very good um, gauge by which you can figure out the the Crandall character. He's talking to Fred, who, as I mentioned before, doesn't have uh, any any luck with the ladies. Doesn't even really try. He's kind of a, a shy and timid guy. Fred, I said, straining to keep the exasperation out of my voice. You're not marrying her tonight. You're going to attempt to insert your penis into her vagina and then remove it again, repeating the process until such time as you achieve a reasonably satisfying orgasm. I will attempt to encourage her to allow you to do this. After that, if you're both of a mind to do so, you can try it again. If not, you'll fuck some other woman, okay? Like, that's just the kind of guy he is. He decides that Fred needs to get laid, and he's going to do everything in his power to make sure that happens. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. 
Um, I've got a place kind of midway through the book where they're trying to, and this shouldn't spoil anything, I'll be as vague as possible, hail a taxi, and they have a large trunk that they've got someone inside of who's still alive. Um, and in the process of hailing the taxi, he's worried about, he's sticking by the trunk so that no one takes it. He just kind of thinks to himself, though I have to admit that it would have been pretty fucking funny if someone had stolen it. That is just, it was cute. It was, it was a mm-hmm. nice, charming moment for the character. Um, this is a quote from Crandall, who um, uh, is having a conversation with someone about something that happened, and Crandall says, Geez, I hope you broke his fucking legs. He was shocked. Of course not. I would have, I said, realizing even as I said it that I probably wasn't a prime example of a well-adjusted adult. <laughs> yeah. That was good. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, I've got one. Uh, this one just kind of like... This hit close to home. I can identify with the sentiment. He's talking about the role that he has in mind in his big movie for Esme. And um, he's explaining it. And he says, Sort of a femme fatale, I said. And as I said it, I was suddenly aware of how meaningless the phrase was. Because really, aren't they all? Yeah. That's Beauty the true. one we but we both had. Oh, yeah. Nice. That's yep. the one. Mm-hmm. To say I've never been the monogamous type would be to understate the matter. In fact, someone once told me I was a textbook case of satiriasis. Yeah, these quotes are probably so much better if I could pronounce words. I was a textbook case of satiriasis, but even for me it was unusual to be carrying on intensive affairs with four different sexually demanding women. Maybe to paraphrase Mick Jagger, I just didn't have that much jam. Tonight I vowed oysters. Would it be satiriasis? Sure. I think I've heard that word. I should probably look it up. Did you look it up? No. Hmm. I don't know how to spell it, so I'm not going to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the next one, and, and it's just been too long, and I know Olivia's can see this because I put it in the notes, so it's not a surprise to him, but it's just been way too long since I've mentioned Kurt Vonnegut. I don't mention him enough on the show, so I found a way. I'm very excited about this. Um, Ginny, the, ex, the porn star ex-co-star, which I like the way that sounds, the Ginny, the porn star ex co-star, is encouraging uh, Crandall to go upstairs to her hotel room that she has in France and kick her her husband out of the room. And uh, she says, "Why don't you go up there and tell him to take a flying fuck at the moon?" And like the the moment I read that, I'm like, "That sounds so familiar." And immediately I was like, "That's Vonnegut." Like it's totally a Vonnegut line. So <laughs> I looked it up, and uh, the first time that line appeared in a Vonnegut novel was Slaughterhouse Five. And then um, it also appeared again in the book Slapstick. So I don't know if that was a, I don't know if that was an intentional homage to Vonnegut or just like it's just become a popularized phrase. But either way, immediately I recognized it as a Vonnegut thing. I thought you were going to accuse Scott Phillips of being a plagiarist. Not at all. Not I thought that's where you're going. Okay, I don't know if he did this as a, or if he just oh yeah. Um, I'm actually impressed <laughs> that you were able to recognize that as a Vonnegut line. That's. Yeah. Hey, Vonnegut fan. Yep. Through and through. Um, at this point in the book, uh, a woman has just told um, Crandall that she wants to marry him. Even an unwanted marriage proposal seems to call for a celebratory fuck. And after we were finished, we showered together and she left. <laughs> so you would think the guy, you know, someone goes, I want to marry you. And you think he'd sit down and talk to her and be like, listen, maybe we shouldn't keep seeing each other. Nope. That's not him. He hits, hits, and, hits it and quits it. Yep. 
Um, hey, surprisingly, I have a, a quote about uh, Crandall having sex with someone as well. <laughs> There's um, a lot of that in this book. This is going to wrap up my uh, quotes and notes kind of thing. Um, toward the end, just a quick line, which I hope that I never have to like go through, but if I do, I'm going to remember this advice. If you ever get a chance to fuck someone with whom you're complicit in a recent murder, I highly recommend it. So, Tell me, man. There's a lot of good life lessons in this one. There's Yeah, there's that. Um, just a couple of really quick ones. I'm not even going to go into the context of these. Once you've been married to a porn star, your notions of propriety probably change somewhat. I like it. Yeah. Um, let's see. This one is... Uh, I wasn't normally that much into the long after dinner promenades, but with Ginny, it was just about the only way to have a conversation that wasn't post-coital, since the minute you entered a room alone with her was usually her signal that the fucking was to commence. I remember that one. Yeah, I like that. Um, I have probably six or seven more, so I'm not going to go into them. I think you get the idea. The writing is, uh, is funnier than the synopsis lets on, at least in my opinion. Um... And the guy, for being, you know, he is. He's, he's kind of like an anti-hero, but goddammit, he's just lovable. I can't see somebody not liking this guy <laughs> as a character because he kind of just owns his shit. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he doesn't ever try to to pretend to be somebody he's not. And I think that that, that honesty makes him uh, attractive as a character. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's good stuff. You want to do a wrap-up since you already kind Ab- of started yours? Absolutely. Um <laughs> Uh, this is my first piece of Scott Phillips' work that I'm reading. I realized this um, when I was about halfway through the book, and I was like, no, 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 there's that story in Noir at the Bar 2, but we got an early copy of Noir at the Bar 2 that didn't have his story in it. So uh, I didn't know what to expect, as I mentioned at the top of the show. I certainly didn't expect kind of like this tongue-in-cheek um, kind of thing that, that I got. But i got to tell you, man, I spent most of my reading this book with a smile on my face. Because I just love this character, and you know, and the goofy kind of outlandish situations that that he gets himself into. And you know, at one point, I was worried about how it was all going to wrap up, that it was going to be something really, uh, you know, kind of phony or, or whatever for an ending. But I didn't feel that way at all. Um, the, the the caper, so to speak, it is definitely there, and I, I think it's good, and it's treated in a fairly realistic way. Um, but uh, just uh, just a great character. So I mean, if, if for nothing else, you know, it's a, it's a good story with a great character. So uh, for that, I'm going to give it four and a half stars. Boom. There it is. Um, I'm going to start out by talking a little bit about Crandall because I feel like we didn't rush through him because we talked to, about him throughout the entire, you know, explanation. But there's something very just important that you need to know about this character. He is a profound just pussy hound throughout the entire book where like every practically every girl he he woman girl whatever he meets from the ages of like you know being in college to in their 50s he considers having sex with them like it's constantly a very sexual theme to his just daily life so uh, <laughs> it's a major part of his character but he's also um like i said well read uh, knows a lot about uh, France from having lived there during college and everything, and uh, just like you know, nothing, you know, everything goes right for this dude more or less. Obviously, he gets into some trouble, but like the general feel of the character is just like he feels like everything's going to turn out okay, and it more or less 
most likely will. Uh, so <laughs> that's one of the nicest things about this book is that just like you have, um, once you get the feel for the Crandall character, you kind of know how the story is going to um, impact you, I guess. Uh, there's a lot of other interesting, a lot of the flavor, the seasoning comes from these other characters that are mixed in a very, just like, you know, very, um, like all, from all different parts of the spectrum. And you got the kind of nymphomaniac, Ginny, Fred, the really boring, uh, brainiac guy, you know, Onik and Bruno are just kind of a little bit weird and arms dealer, your femme fatale, um, just a great selection of different characters and the overall story is is nice because it's so like it's basic in a very approachable way um but like livia said toward the end i was thinking either i know which which way the story is going to go or it's going to go in a way i'm not expecting and it kind of did both and um i was just really satisfied with the whole thing so uh really good read great characters uh, my first uh, uh reading of scott phillips as well and uh, it did not disappoint at all. So uh, I'm going to go. I'm making this decision on the spot right now. We'll do four and a half stars. I liked it a lot. Very, very nice. Yeah. So Yeah, great stuff. I, I Yeah, it just, it was just like a, a truly enjoyable book. And by enjoy, I don't spend a lot of time. You know me, I don't really care for comedies and stuff. But I felt like really just amused throughout the whole thing. Yeah, definitely. All right, that's it for our first Scott Phillips review. Feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, we may have to add uh, Scott Phillips to the to-be-watched list. Yeah. Is that it? Are we done with the podcast for the day? That's it. That's all we got. Uh, I don't know. Actually... I did have a couple things which I think we should talk about. Oh, um, okay. Well, if you want to talk about some other stuff, I guess that's yeah, it won't okay. take long, don't worry. <laughs> um, one thing I want to point out, which is something that uh, we didn't... Uh, wasn't established in time for us to bring up on the, the latest episode, which was just a few days ago anyway. Um, talking to Michael Gonzalez a lot lately, and the him and... Amanda Gowan, who's kind of the co-editor, who not kind of is the co-editor for the Cypher Sisters anthology, have put together um, an Indiegogo uh, fundraiser for the Thunder Zone magazine's 2013 uh, anthologies that they're putting out as kind of a pre-order for those anthologies. And we want just to give a little plug to encourage people to go over there and check it out. Yeah, of course, that's definitely something we want to talk about. Um uh, Cipher Sisters, we meant or Cipher Sister, sorry, we mentioned here um, both when we had Amanda and Michael Paul Gonzalez on um, Thunderdome. We reviewed uh, "L.A. in a Thousand Words," um, so I'm excited at the premise of two more. I got to tell you, I'm not a huge fan of uh, of, of MMA, so I don't know how that uh, how that project's going to go. What do you think about that? Um, it's not a topic that personally interests me. Mm-hmm. But I trust the work that Gonzalez does to make it, you know, an interesting and worthwhile read. And um, from what I understand, I think he, and this is just my very uninformed um, knowledge of the matter, I thought he was trying to get actual MMA, like, names involved. So, mm-hmm. like, there's there would be stories, but there would also be input from the actual, like, fighters and everything, which I think would be kind of cool. Agreed. In the process of reaching out to active professional fighters of every level and amateurs as well. 
I don't know if that means that he actually wants them in the book or if he's just going to pick fights with them. <laughs> just like a story and then a picture of like Michael having just gotten his ass beat. Like laying on the sidewalk somewhere <laughs> and then like another story. Dude, tell me that wouldn't have a following somewhere. At least like a pretty solid blog. <laughs> that would be pretty awesome. Like, so, so I wouldn't so beat my ass. Here's the pr- picture. Yep. So, um, yeah, go... Claim an ebook, claim two ebooks, claim a print book if you're so inclined as to the paper books. Um, those are available as well. You've got 38 days. Save your pennies. Go over there. Drop some love on Thunderdome Press. Yeah. And essentially, the idea behind this, the reason that they're doing this, because I know that, you know, some people might be getting a little tired of these. You know, everybody's got a fundraiser for everything, like that weird um, alien whatever. Remember? We're talking about yes. we're oh, making yeah. fun of recently. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the purpose behind this fundraiser, and it is basically to, first of all, it's it's, you know, it's positioned as a pre-order. So if you're interested in getting these books, might as well just pay for them up front so that they have less to worry about in the process of making them. Uh, but it's just so that they can be as legitimate and and as possible, and to to have the ability to to pay authors for their work because it's really difficult as an independent press, and um you know if no you know if the independent presses went away so much good stuff would just get missed so i can stand behind this because i I think it's a good it's a good good cause was there some patriotic music in the background of you saying that or did i just hear that in my head whoa calm down you know what (laughs) i can have feelings (laughs) see that's the problem you can and i can't boy couldn't cry he's a robot he's a robot I'm going to put in, there's an Arrested Development clip where Buster is saying that about Michael. I might just put that in just there. I'm sure that means something to somebody. Pretty much everybody but you. Can I talk about our next book? Uh, yeah, I'd love it if okay. you did. Okay, so can I talk about what I thought our next book was going to be? <laughs> sure. Over over the last month, as I've mentioned uh, numerous times on, on this podcast, I've been listening to a lot of music from my youth, and uh, that would include quite a bit of Alice Cooper. Are you familiar with Alice Cooper? Uh, yeah, he was in Wayne's World. <laughs> He's yeah. a guy that knows yeah. a lot about yeah. Milwaukee. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say that, or you're going to throw out that he was on The Muppets. Like, I remember that guy on The Muppets. That's so cool. <laughs> um, any rate, so I'm, I'm looking up Alice Cooper's on tour, so I'm kind of looking up some stuff, and a guy I work with told me about these videos that I need to find from his last album that all intertwine and stuff. And somehow, I, I get, and uh, Google might have pushed me this way because all the book searches I do, I find a book by Alice Cooper that, you know, just came out. Okay? It's called Entangled by Alice Cooper. I see this cover, and you saw the cover, right? It's a little weird, because it has like the back of a wedding dress or something on it. But I go, dude, this looks like fiction, written by Alice Cooper. We're totally going to review this. So I follow through to Amazon, and I start to get the feeling like, this maybe isn't exactly what what, uh, what I I think it is. So I click on the author link, and there is a uh, young Asian girl. She she looks to be Asian, right? You'd agree with that statement? I'm going to go with Asian, yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to read to you her uh, her author her, her author bio. Are you going to mention I, the masquerade mask thing that she's wearing? Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's why we're not 100% sure. I'm pretty sure she's Asian, but she's wearing, yeah, kind of like that uh, masquerade ball type mask. That or like the Lone Ranger, if the Lone Ranger had a little more fashion <laughs> sense. Um, <laughs> Hi there, Alice Cooper is my name. Which is fine, because you know what? Cooper's a pretty common last name, and if you're 75, Alice is a, is a common first name. 
your 75-year-old woman. This next line says, well, to be honest, it's my pen name. She picked a pen name, I don't know if she knows it or not, of a legendary rock god. Is it, are we going to go as far as God? Al Scooper? Yes. Yeah, we are? Okay. Yes, yes, I just want to make yes, sure. I absolutely. don't know. You're the, you're the yep, yep. authority. All right. Um, but here it is. Uh, Flirting with the world of romance writing can be a dangerous move, and I would like to keep certain things separate for the time being. So Lucy Lou here doesn't want us to know what, what her real name is, since that's going to be Alice Cooper. I grew up reading J.K. Rowling, V.C. Andrews, Anne McCaffrey, Terry Pratchett, and was just getting started on Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes when the school librarian decided to get rid of all of his books. Now I have all his books on my iPad, and yes, I've read all of them. This is her goddamn author bio. Um, it's probably also her MySpace profile, possibly um, Facebook. Does it, at the end of it, tell say what her Kick username is so that we can send her little messages on Kick? No, and I don't know what that is, but no, it doesn't. It, it doesn't say that. So um, here is the book we almost read by Alice Cooper. Love, Lust, Money, Games. When Phoebe Walters prevents a teenage girl from jumping off a bridge, she did not anticipate that it would also bring her into the path of Tristan Vice. <laughs> I was pausing for that. <laughs> the young girl's handsome and incredibly rich brother. Despite being attracted to him, Phoebe finds him cold and unnerving, but she cannot stop thinking about him, and it's turning her into an insomniac. Despite rejecting his offer the first time, a turn of events forces Phoebe into his employment, but the job requires more than just keeping watch over his sister's mental health, and Phoebe quickly becomes entangled in his family game for control. Disclaimer. Entangled contains language, violence, and explicit scenes. It is intended for a mature audience. Disclaimer number two, this is not written by Rock God Alice Cooper. <laughs> Can we go back to the you calling her Lucy Lou? <laughs> sure. Did you see the movie Payback with Mel Gibson? I did not. Uh, probably my favorite performance by Lucy Lou ever. She's a she's a she's a dominatrix. Uh, what's mm-hmm. her name? Um uh, I can't remember her name. Uh in her character's name in the movie, but yeah. She uh, she plays this dominatrix and she's just it's super dominatrixy but also kind of funny. Anytime anybody mentions Lucy Liu, I automatically just flash to Payback with Mel Gibson, which is like a really kind of surprisingly good movie considering what it is. Hmm, interesting. Hmm. Um, do you want to review Entangled? It's only 128 pages. It might be fun. <sighs> um, here's here's the thing about that. Much like Fifty Shades of Grey. Like it might hit big, so we could be in on the ground floor with this one. Uh, but at the same time, I doubt it will. Dude, but if we have the author on, so okay, so here's how it works. I was initially really bad, but then I started thinking, how cool would it be to say we've had Alice Cooper on our podcast? That's true, and then we can ask her all about her role in uh, the movie Payback. That's true, and she's probably yeah. so young that she wouldn't even understand what we're talking about. Elementary. That's Lucy <laughs> Liu in Elementary, right? Yeah, she is in elementary. Okay, but I thought right. you were saying she was in elementary school. I'm like, that's just oh, creepy, no. dude. No, no, that's, yeah. But yeah, so we almost read an Alice Cooper book. Almost. Dodge that bullet. Instead, we're going to read something by someone who's not as famous as Alice Cooper. That's true. Neil Gaiman, um, known mostly for being Amanda Palmer's husband. Um, unless you... <laughs> right? That's oh, what he's pretty gosh. much known for. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, he's also the the author of uh, the Sandman comics, 
Um, Anansi Boys, American Gods, Spoken Mirrors, Neverwhere, which I absolutely loved. I love, love Neverwhere. I'm sure it's in my top 10 favorite books of all time. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's uh, The Ocean at the End of the Lane, which came out just, uh, you know, this past week. I just uh, Googled Sandman because mm-hmm. I never read those comics. I've never read anything by Neil Gaiman, which I it would probably shock and surprise lots of our listeners, but also like, mm-hmm. it's just the truth. So I'm not gonna hide from that. But uh, I just I just googled Sandman, and I was thinking that character looks kind of a little bit like Alice Cooper. Yeah. Yes, you are correct. That's an interesting statement. I tried to read the Sandman um, <laughs> novels or the graphic novels. Yeah. Actually, went and got a bunch from the library, and although I really appreciated some of the art that was in there, I just had real trouble following the stories. Hmm. But I've heard nothing but good things about Neil Gaiman, mm-hmm. as a, as a as a writer, and as a person. So, looking forward. Oh, he's to a good friend, and he's married to Amanda Palmer. I don't even know who's Amanda Palmer. <clears throat> For reals? Is it the chick from Twin Peaks? No, Harry Armpit, <laughs> indie rock singer. Oh wait, that name sounds familiar. Was she from? The don't Dresden tell me. Dolls. The Dre- Damn it! I was just gonna say that. Dresden. <laughs> Was the place that uh, uh, the book Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut took place? Oh, the Dresden Files was a series about a wizard. <laughs> and Robert going with this? And Robert Palmer did that simply irresistible song. So that's true. There you is go. That, is that his daughter? Do you know? <clears throat> um, I doubt How it. Cool would that be? That would be cool. Um, but uh, I think we'll be using some Amanda Palmer for next week's episode. Um, but yeah, that's. Uh, it's pretty much it for tonight, then, right? No, I'm gonna see if <laughs> uh, I'm gonna, I'm looking up Amanda Palmer. Okay. Oh, she's got a huge name, Amanda McKinnon Gaiman Palmer, sometimes known as Amanda Fucking Palmer, is an American performer who first rose to prominence. <laughs> like seriously, that's what it says. As the lead singer, pianist, and lyricist, composer of the duo The Dresden Dolls. Hey, good for her. There's a picture of her wearing like just a bra. That's interesting. Thanks, Wikipedia. Um, pretty good videos, at least from the last album. I just found out about her recently through her last um, album, and there's uh, there's some good stuff in there. So um, yeah. check out some Amanda Palmer. Um, but that's it. We're done for the show, right? Nothing else? Uh-uh. Nope. Can't get away without some uh, book news. Skip Papersley. I think he's being more persistent now that he knows you don't like him. Um, yeah. Uh, well, let's see uh, Let's see uh, what, what he does this week. It's at the end of the show, so no one's really listening anymore. It's pretty safe to let him, to let him roll. <laughs> All right, here it goes. Book news. This is book news. I'm Skip Papersley. Now for the news. Oprah has suggested the book The Far Away Nearby as the book of the week as part of Oprah's book club. Also, nine must-reads for the month of June. Transatlantic. And the Mountains Echoed. The Silver Star. Unmastered, a book on desire most difficult to tell. One Thousand and One Nights, a retelling. Pain Parties, Work. Sylvia Plath in New York, Summer 1953. The Silence of Dogs in Cars. We Need New Names. A Novel. Americana. On the financial side, 
The wrap-up of quarter two shows a slight increase in the price of wood pulp, which is now up 2% from the previous quarter. The drought expected in the rainforests will drive the price another 2% by the end of Q3. Book publishers are concerned, but are waiting it out. Now for the New York Times bestsellers in nonfiction. Five, Keep It Pithy by Bill O'Reilly, published by Crown Archetype. Four, Dad is Fat by Jim Gaffigan, published by Crown Archetype. Three, Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg with Nell Scovel, published by Knopf. Two, American Gun by Chris Kyle with William Doyle, published by Morrow and HarperCollins. One, Happy, Happy, Happy by Phil Robertson and Mark Schlaubeck, published by Howard Books. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Papersley, signing off. <sighs> All I'm going to say about that, Livius, this is on you. This is the world um, that was built by your hatred and, and, and jealousy. Um, do you want to know I had this, this horrible realization while I was listening to that, that that's probably what you and I sound like, right? Nope, we don't. Nobody sounds don't. like that. No. Okay. <laughs> Because I was thinking, I was like, oh my god, this is really nightmarishly bad. And I was like, Skip Papersley always has this energy. I was like, we don't. I don't. I don't have any energy. <laughs> so you just got that, like, he was almost like the ghost of Christmas past a little bit. Or one of a the ghosts bit. of Christmas something. Yeah. All I could say is this is one of those um, uh, be careful what you wish for situations. Yeah. Because um, I, I just want the old Skip Papersley back. And, and I promise I'll stop giving him a hard time this. for being the best part of our show cautionary tale kits but i will say that even when he is boring he still managed managed to make me laugh with the whole thing about the wood pulp going up two percent dude that was absolutely hilarious so thank right. you skip papersley for uh you know for trying something a little different for us really appreciate it um it's really not working for us we're, we're just gonna need the old skip papersley back bring crazy back. music and all bring it back buddy that's right all right now i think we're done right that's it do we have any other news we want to share with the with the listeners? We have tons of stuff we could share. It's just what we choose to share at this point. Nah, let's let them let's let them wait a week. Yeah, let's do that. So, if you want to know exciting news stuff, uh, you're going to want to come back next week, where we promise to have a much more excited Skip Papersley. We promise to have some exciting news, booked news, mm-hmm. well, yeah, about booked. You know. So, uh, until next time, I'm Livia Snedden. and I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. She's crazy, you know it.